0: Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking ultra recovery with Lucy Bartholomew. All right, today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with Lucy Bartholomew about the strategies she uses to recover quickly after an ultra before resuming training for the next event. I'm sure most of you listening know who Lucy is. You know, she's Australia's ultra running prodigy, the woman who went from running with her dad at 15 to finishing on the top of the podium at some of the biggest ultras around the globe and in fact, setting a bunch of course records in the process. Not surprisingly, her travel, training, and race schedule keeps her pretty busy, so it actually has taken almost a year to get Lucy on this show, uh, but with some luck, we were able to have her here today to talk about her strategies and tactics on staying healthy while training for ultras. Now, I know she was planning on taking off again tomorrow to train in the mountains, and so just with all of this stuff going on, we're really lucky to have her here today, but um, you know, with all that said, Lucy, welcome to the show. Hey,
1: yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. I've got plenty of time. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So many people have so much more time, and then yet, uh, like I was out for a run earlier, and even then, it's like you know, trying to dodge people and figure out who to stay away from. It's it's really not that simple, you know. Even though so many people have time, it's it's tough right now. So, um, you know, uh, what about you? So you you I know you had originally planned to take off tomorrow to head to the mountains and train. Uh, but that's up in the air now too, huh?
1: Yeah. So it's Easter weekend, uh, this weekend and just kind of like, um, I think to to set an example and just, I know that a lot of the police were like, you know, we're just going to be like locking down roads. And if your travel isn't essential, then we will find you. And yeah, like as much as running is something that's very important to me, I, I don't think it's essential, uh, that I need to be in the mountains. Um, and yeah, so I'm just going to stay local and yeah, I think it's something that it's challenging in itself to, to stay home and to run the trails or the roads actually just around where I live. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think there's, there's definitely good within that. So yeah, it's going to be a, a little bit of time at home at the moment, which is good.
0: Yeah, great. All right. Well, so with those changes, you know, maybe we can just talk a little bit about your background and stuff. You know, I I know that um, as I understand it, you started out basically running with your dad as a teenager, but then in no time, you know, like, I think you did a race with your dad and then like a year later, you went back and chopped off something like three hours off your prior hundred K time. And then realized, I think in that event, if I understand correctly, that maybe you really had a knack for this thing. And, and obviously you do. Uh, But maybe before we get into some of the questions, uh, you could just give us a little bit more detail about, you know, your running history and why you became so interested in running ultras.
1: Yeah. So like you said, my dad uh, was mainly a road runner, a marathon runner, and uh, he's done, you know, 20 Melbourne marathons here in Australia. And then as he's gotten older, he decided to try something a bit different. Um, You know, the times weren't being as fast. And so he decided just to go longer and slower. Um, so he found a race in the Blue Mountains, which was then called the North Face One Hundred, now mm-hmm. called the Alter Trail Australia. And yeah, he you know he was both um, excited but also super nervous about this. You know he had to carry all this gear. It was through the mountains. And so he started training for it. And, you know, I'd always seen him run. Um, He'd run around the block when we were home and stuff. And I was always like, why? It's so pointless. Like you're leaving to come back to where you are and you're just more tired. And it was just, it never really, I never really saw it as something that I was like, oh, that looks exciting. But then when he started training for this um, trail race, he would go away for weekends to the bush and he'd run around and find these cool runs and he'd see waterfalls and animals and you know and then he'd he'd camp or he'd go to some cafes and it was a real experience and he'd come back and tell us all about it so I was really interested I was interested more in like the nature and the food side of things but um yeah so I ended up getting my bike and I joined him for these runs um and just ride next to him we just go until we had nothing else to say or he got tired and then we'd come back And, uh, yeah, as I got stronger, I kind of decided was really inspired to like run next to him. So we ended up doing the whole training block together. And then, um, when we, he went up to the race, he said, you know, you've been such a part of this, uh, build up, like come and see the race, come and see me do it and be a part of it again. And, um, yeah, like he, you know, he waved me off from the start line and I was like, well, what do I do for the next, you know, 16, 20 hours? And I just did what I'd been learning to do. And I just put the pack on that he'd given me of stuff that he needed at the checkpoints. And I just ran and I ended up following the course markings and, um, you know, taking some shortcuts to get to the, to the checkpoints before him. And then I'd lay out all these stuff and he'd come in and be like, Oh man, the Hills were so big. And I was like, yeah, I know <laughs> like, I did them too. Um, but, you know, I saw the front of the pack and I saw the elites looking amazing. I saw my dad Um, you know really putting his head down and working hard and then I saw the back of the pack you know the people that have like cake and coke in one hand and are taking a selfie with the other and I was like this sport is like all-encompassing it's for anyone of any size Uh, it's it's about any not about any ability specifically and it's just so beautiful so when he finished that race I, I got home and I emailed all the race directors for 100K races in Australia. And uh, one came back and said, yeah, you you can run the race as long as you run side by side with your dad. And uh, yeah, that was kind of the surf coast Century was the race. And it, it's pretty much changed my life.
0: Wow. And that's really unusual, right? Because uh, I think it, even now, right? It's like very difficult for someone who's a teenager. If you're not 18, like most races just won't let you do it isn't that right yeah
1: and that's the funny thing like i just wanted to run a marathon um and i like none of the road marath- road races were gonna let a, a 15 a year old run right. um but this 100k trail race was like oh yeah like you know we've got because it was like a walking running event kind of like mm-hmm. the oxfam and there was a group of a school group of 15, 16 year olds walking it. And I was like, well, I just want to do that. But I just want to do it a bit faster.
0: Right.
1: And um, but then, yeah, like people's opinions on a teenager going for a walk for a long time with their teacher and in a group compared to someone wanting to, you know, lift two feet off the ground at some points yeah, right. um, is like a massive big deal. And suddenly there was opinions and it was very blurred. It was just new territory for everyone.
0: Right. Well, that's great. So then, then you went back a year later and what happened?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the, the next year I signed up and he said, you know, you've proven that you don't need to run side by side with your dad. So he said, you just run your own race. Um, so I ended up finishing. We, I, with my dad, I ran 12 and a half hours and then I ran nine hours 20 by myself yeah. and um, finished second overall. And it was just like, just an amazing experience. Just to, it was totally different. The same course, the same time of year, pretty much the same weather conditions. But to, to have the highs and lows and not have my dad to lean on mm-hmm. or my dad to hold me back or my dad to drag me forward. Um, yeah, it was super special to kind of find that will in myself to, yeah, to push that boundary and to, to be uncomfortable and come out the other side.
0: No, that's great. Now, I would imagine also that for that second year, um, taking that much time off, your buildup and training must have been very, very different. I mean, obviously, you had a very specific goal. I mean, what really set you, you know, in terms of inspiration between that event where you did it with your dad and you saw these different people, saw the elites, saw the front of the pack, saw the back of the pack, and everybody in between? What really, you know, fired you up so much to like really go for that kind of time?
1: I think, you know, for me, it was. I think I was capable of running uh, like a lot less than 12 and a half hours when I did run with my dad, you know, for sure. He's someone who like his philosophy is like start slow and get start slow and get slower. Um, And I just remember like in the first 20 K you run along the beach and I'd like run ahead and then I'd have to like double back to make sure I was with him and find him and um yeah so I think my my potential I knew was was untapped and I I really started to look into like nutrition and stuff like that about how to eat on the run cuz with my dad we we were moving at a pace that you could eat you know sandwiches and stop for noodles and right. it was a very kind of like buffet on the run kind of thing and then when I ran it myself I was more using like energy bars and gels and stuff like that. Um, so I feel like that probably like saved a lot and um, mm-hmm. gave me a lot more um, of that ready energy to keep going.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I know also um, one of the keys, right, to be successful as ultras is not getting injured because, you know, just like now, right, if you get sick, well, then you can't train. And if you can't train, you're going to lose a lot of fitness really fast. And so there's this very difficult thing about um you know just avoiding any kind of injury whatsoever and uh uh i think you've been pretty injury free if i understand everything correctly but you did have one episode where you were you went to squaw a a bit before the western states 100 and then you, you did something to your knee right and before a race like that i would have to imagine that psychologically that is extremely difficult so what did you do you know with that you know potential knee injury that had this? Seriously, the potential to wreck the Western States 100 for you. Like, what did you do to manage the, not just the injury, but really the psychology and the anxiety around that, you know, right before that race, what did you do? What happened?
1: Yeah, totally. So I, I took a fall on the trail and like, you know, it looked like I had another kneecap coming on. Um, and I just remember being so upset, you know I was so fit, and I like had one more little training block. it was probably three weeks before the race, and I just had one more week of kind of nails in the coffin before going into taper and I remember it happening, and I remember calling this person calling the family I was staying with and saying, "Can they come pick me up and I was such a mess I was just in tears and I wasn't a very friendly person for them to pick up on the side of the road but they understood and I remember you know a friend of mine just saying Lucy like this is just the world saying that your taper starts now like you need a rest you know this is just like you need to you need to be positive and that this isn't you haven't broken anything and that it's it's all functionally okay Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, once I kind of just like got over the fact that like three week taper and two week taper for a hundred miles, isn't going to destroy your race at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I came to terms with it and I remember going to the, to the physio and I, you know, I was like shaking and crying on the, on the bed. And he was like, all right. And he just, he said, you don't need physio. You just need a hug. And I remember him hugging me for, I'd say like he held the hug for 10 minutes and he was just like, you just need to relax. Your body will fix this. You'll have a scar and that's all. And you'll be fine for race day. So I think he saw that it wasn't like, maybe there was a physical um, cut and bruising and stuff, but he was like, the only way this will affect your race is if you psychologically let let it. And uh, yeah, just that kind of support. Just I, you know, I totally didn't think I I needed a hug from that session, but I came away being like, I can manage this and this will not, you know, interrupt my race at all.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting. That's really the key, right? Is it's just, I mean, it's like when you have a down part of a race, right? Where you feel like you really just, you're dying in the middle of an event. You have to figure out some way out of that hole. Right. And it's just the same thing. When you get an injury, it's really psychological more than physical. Um, yeah. So, you know, along those lines, a few months ago, I was talking to some of my friends and, and, uh, and, I was talking about you specifically about like how great it would be if we could get you on the show. And, um, and he was actually kind of dismissive and he said, Oh, you know, but she's young, she's strong. She can get away with a lot. And that's true, but nobody is going to run at your level. Nobody's going to set course records or anything else without really kind of treading this very fine line between maximizing your physiology for training and overtraining. So, you know, if you're doing your job correctly, you're doing the maximum amount of tissue damage you can sustain and that you can rebuild before your next workout so that you continually get stronger and stronger and stronger. Of course, if you do just a tiny bit too much, then you get an overtraining injury. And you haven't really had any of that. But you're setting course records. And so whether you're young or not, there's no way to argue that you don't know how to do that really really well. So, you know, what is it about that? Like what would you recommend to to runners not who are just young but those maybe in their 40s and 50s who are trying to figure out how they can really train and do as much as they can without getting an overtraining injury.
1: Yeah, I'd probably say that um, you know, uh my coach is probably the one that knows how to manage that. Me myself, I would run myself into to the ground. Like I just love running and the long runs and the the super demanding just kind of pounding on the body. Um, so my coach is very much like, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what not to do. Right. Um, and it's interesting because yeah, um, I had a period up until 2018 where I, I didn't even know what an injury was. You know, I just couldn't fathom. I was like, why is everyone breaking down all the time? Like I just like, don't roll ankles and I, you know, nothing swells and nothing gets injured. And, um, on the day, January 1st of 2019 I rolled my ankle in a way that I've never rolled an ankle before and it was my first kind of injury where I was yeah I was stopped from running and like you say like an injury is so psychological because for me I was like 2019 is going to be a shit year like this is just like it just put me in a hole and I just really struggled to come out of it And then I had Western States to train for. So I kind of kept pushing it like before it was healed, I was back on it. And um, I ended up picking up a new coach and he was like, yeah, yeah, Lucy, you just like to be a better runner, you need to run more. And so we were running, you know, 210 K weeks, just ridiculous amounts Um, And it was, it's, it's crazy that I did that because, you know, 2018 worked so well. Why am I trying to change something that's not broken, you know? And um, yes. And then I ran Western States and just had like, I was just overcooked, you know, talk about overtraining more like maybe my, you know, my bones were okay. And I didn't have any like physical things, but like mentally, and I Mm -hmm. think like hormonally and um yeah like within me my body was just like no we're not doing this again so at the end of 2019 you know like things started to like my hamstrings started to flare up so i was just riddled i it was like oh my gosh like my body's falling apart i'm an old woman i've turned 23 this is it like is it downhill from here (laughs) um But yeah, it's crazy. I started working with another coach, uh, David Roach, who's an American coach and he's a very, um, he takes more of a, a less approach to training. He's like, less is more. And it's amazing how the body is just like, Oh, thank you, Lucy. Like now we can repair that hamstring, get the, get that motion back and get it back. Right. And yeah, like I have to say that he's just making me do a lot of little things um, after the runs, really emphasizing sleep and recovery and nutrition and, yeah, getting that hormones and everything right inside of me before you even think about stepping out the door.
0: Right. Yeah, it's really critical. I mean, that's it. The coach is so important. And and if you don't have a coach, then sticking to your own training plan is so important. And most of the injured athletes, and I would say most, uh, that call me you know, for a consult, they when I hear their story, I'm like, wait a minute, you did what? So you Mm -hmm. had this plan and you had this work thing and then this family thing. And so you took those workouts that you should have done and you basically stacked them into one weekend. You did what? Like, why would you do that? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And, (laughs) and yet, you know, you, you have this whole psychology of like, well, I have this plan. If I don't do that plan, I don't do all the miles on that plan. Then I won't possibly be able to achieve my goal. And then they wind up injured and it is astonishing. And that really is, you know, the coach's job is just to keep you just below that line where you're going to get injured, but not go over it. And, um, and it always, of course, you know, if you have a good year, then I guess it's pretty easy to assume, well, if you just train a bit harder, you can have an even better year next time. But it's, you know, it's really not always in the uh, additional effort. It's in maximizing, you know, your output and recovering maximally after that. That's what's really so crucial. So, um, you know, it's along those lines. I know about a year ago when I emailed you at first and and said, you know, I'd love to get you on the show to really talk about, you know, your strategies on what you do to recover quickly after an ultra. You said something like half jokingly about, oh gosh, you know, I just, I don't know what I do, do about recovery. I just think about it. Normally, I just eat and sleep, you know, and like, okay, well, that's kind of funny, but it does bring up two actual points that are, sleep and nutrition, you know, and we do not get stronger when we run, we do not get stronger when we train, we get stronger when we recover. And that happens when we feed ourselves and when we sleep. And that is totally overlooked. And I mean, I, you know, I talk to athletes all the time about their sleep patterns when they are overtrained and injured. And it's incredible how many of them aren't really paying attention. And, you know, sleep is the most abundant And most underutilized resource available to to runners in training. And and it's interesting how many people are neglecting that because they say, well, you know, I have kids. So the only time I can train is if I get up at three o'clock in the morning. What time do you go to bed? Well, I don't go to bed till 11. What? Like you're going to sleep four hours a day and expect to train for like a 100 mile race and do well? That doesn't make any sense. But, you know, we always take this as, you know, not not a necessary thing. So what do you really do with sleep and uh, and recovery and what do you do with sleep specifically to try to recover as fast as possible so you can put in more of those hard workouts when you're in hard training mode
1: yeah so you know i live a full-time athlete life so obviously i do have a lot of time and a, um, a very relaxed schedule um so for me you know sleep wise you know i'm most nights um in bed and like a sleep eyes closed at at 10 mm-hmm. um and then i wake up at kind of mm, like six thirty-seven. Okay. Um, so it's, it's not like it's, I make sure it's quality. You know, I could get into bed earlier and stay in bed later, but I'd just be lying there needing to pee and probably getting hungry, you know, like I'm, yeah, I just don't see value in that, but I really do make sure that those are my times and that I stick to that routine, even with the traveling and, and stuff like that. Um, nutrition wise, I follow a plant-based diet. So I eat, um, no meat or animal products. Um, and I would say that I do that not so much, like I didn't do it because I thought that'd it be better for my recovery. It's more for the environment and the ethical reasons, but for sure I've noticed that it does allow you to sleep deeper and for that recovery to be, to be faster and stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, other than that, like, you know, my my coach always says, you know, every day is a double day, Lucy, because your second session is when you go to bed. Oh, yeah. Um and I think that's really important, that philosophy that like this is a session, you know. If I'm I'm a box ticker for workouts, he's like, Yeah, great, like get your sec- like get your next the easy workout in and go to bed, you know, it's not mm-hmm. that hard. And I think that's a great way to to look at it, um, because then people start to see that you know, this is a session and it's a 12 hour endurance, like, you know, get in bed and, and, and do it. Um, and like you say, like the people that, uh, like time is everyone's excuse. And at the moment it's, it's pretty funny cause everyone has so much time. So it's like time is not an excuse right now. Um, but I always say, you know, like you've got to weigh up sometimes if one hour of sleep versus one hour run, you know, which are you getting to more benefit from? And yeah, I'd probably put bets on that the, the, uh, sleeping is the most important.
0: Yeah. Well, I saw somebody the other day said, uh, something to the effect of, you know, if you, uh, with what's going on right now, if you have goals that you haven't been able to achieve because of whatever work commitments, family commitments, anything else and you don't come out of this in the next few months with those goals accomplished, then you know for a fact that time is not your problem. Discipline is your problem.
1: Totally. You know? Yeah. 100% absolutely.
0: true. So it's going to be a harsh reality for a lot of people, I think, who uh, you know, spend all this time like watching videos and whatnot and not actually getting things accomplished. But you know it's hard to shift those um those routines right and nutrition is one of those so um you know like we're talking about you have to rebuild tissue and you have to stimulate this healing process it really begins from your workouts where you do specific tissue damage as a direct goal of that workout and then you rebuild that tissue and become stronger and you have to have good quality ingredients in as building blocks to achieve that and so you have this plant-based diet and you've had that for a long time it's not like you made the switch from, you know, a really like a paleo diet or something to a plant-based diet. You've been doing that a long time. I know you're a foodie and your website is like, has all this information with some of your recipes and stuff on, you know, what you eat when you run, what you eat when you recover, um, and all of that. And so, uh, I know that you really think it's important, right? So how did you develop those habits? I mean, I know you said it was really just kind of a decision you made a long time ago, but, um, has it changed at all in the last few years in terms of like how you specifically fuel before or after workouts to really maximize those workouts the same way you do with your sleep?
1: Yeah. So I've been, I've been vegan and plant-based for seven years now. um, And it's definitely adapted and changed. And I think that's got a lot to do with like, I'm a very intuitive person. I'm intuitive with the way I train, the way I sleep. You know, I, I like to sleep with the sun going up and down and, Um, and I like to eat seasonally and I like to take things from the cultures that I see as I travel. Um, and so I think that for me, um, you know, like I, I've really noticed, you know, what my body responds well to and what I need to have in my diet and what I lack. So, um, you know, things like I've really, I really watch my iron levels and I've always getting blood tests. I get it for anti-doping anyway, but this way I can keep track of that. And, you know, I supplement that and I supplement B12. And then things like protein is something that I, I don't focus on because it seems to be the thing that everyone asks about. But, you know, after a workout, you know, within that kind of 30-minute, 45-minute window, it's definitely you notice the difference if you consistently give your body um, something to work with once it's finished, you know, battering, you finish battering it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really, really important. And then just kind of, you know, making those meals, um, really count. And really, I think the biggest thing for me is the timing of the food, um, Mm -hmm. around my workouts. I've really noticed, you know, I used to kind of eat a big meal and then be like, all right, well, I need to get the run in. And then my run would be compromised because my stomach was full and, or I'd like push off a meal because I wanted to get the run in and then I'd end up missing a meal. And then that the next meal, just like, Yeah, it just like it wasn't right. So I really focused on kind of like, uh, especially because I'm home at the moment, you know, I have a a routine of this is when I wake, this is when I'll eat, then I can train, then I will eat again Mm -hmm. and just maximizing that time in the day so that also so that when you go to bed, you're not going to bed with like a full stomach, you almost have that kind of, I almost like have three hours of buffer between dinner and bed to just really make sure that everything's digested and it can be then just pulled apart while I'm asleep and put to where it needs to go.
0: Yeah, well, that may be a big part of like how you're saying that your sleep is so effective, right? I mean, and you sleep really well, Um, not just the plant-based diet, but the fact that you really don't, you know, just eat and then go to bed. And I think a lot of people do that. Um, what yeah and one
1: of the that? things that i think is super interesting is like if you eat a piece of a piece of meat for um for dinner it takes you know like 12 hours for it to be completely digested so your whole sleep is your blood is going to the stomach to digest it uh having like a vegetarian or a vegan uh, meal at the end of the day uh you know it can kind of take four hours so then you've got five hours of extra that time in your sleep that's just being used for all that rebuilding, repairing and growing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that like, if, if anything I say to people, you know, maybe don't, don't have meat at that last meal just to give your body that real break. Um, you know, you can still have your, your sandwich with ham at at (laughs) lunchtime, but that's the key meal I feel like is dinner is to, to make that as easy as it is for the body to, to get into that recovery mode.
0: Yeah. That's great advice. Now, Also, along the same lines, I've heard lots of different people talking about their kind of secret weapons, the things they really help, you know, think help them recover faster. And, you know, some people, it's naps, massages, um, secret recipes or whatever. Um, But I know on your website, you have this section called My Top Tips, where you have three categories, stretching and mobility, yoga, and core strength. So what could you share with our listeners about those three categories and how each of them really does help you recover? you know, potentially even decrease your risk of getting an injury when you're training?
1: Yeah. So I feel like, again, back to being like intuitive and things like yoga and and core. I mean, core kind of comes with yoga. You end up doing it anyway, mm-hmm. but you become, you can listen to the body. Um, you know, when you're holding a stretch and you feel from side to side, it kind of gives you, you know, your body's very, very smart and it will give you little tightnesses and little maybe a little bit of pain just to be like, Hey, this is like a little fatigued or this isn't right. Or you're I'm getting one side's getting hammered and the other is just being lazy. And it will give you that um, those signals, what we tend to do. And especially as ultra runners is because we, we do have to um, Uh, push them aside like in races we have to be like yeah i know you hurt but you've got to keep going because this is how we're gonna get to the end of this race um and then what we tend to do is we do that in training but um yeah for me like yoga and mobility um is really really important to kind of come back into tune with my body and be like look you know a few times a year i'm gonna push these signals aside and i'm gonna like go as hard as i can um, and know that this can, you know, you can come out the other side, maybe injured, you know? Um, but yeah, like, but in training, it's kind of like, this is the opportunity to to really feel it out and to make sure that those imbalances are, are fixed before they become a bigger problem.
0: Yeah, that's great. What about after your races? You know, like when you get done with a huge event like Western States 100 or something like that, um, it seems like a lot of the people I talk to, a lot of athletes, they just take this sort of casual approach where when they're not racing and they're not training, they don't necessarily have a very specific plan. Some of them take a vacation. Some of them say, Oh, I'm just not doing anything right now. You know, I'm just kind of spending some more time with the family or whatever. And it's very unstructured. But what about you? Like do you have a specific plan for the 24 or 48 hours, that key time when you have the maximum amount of tissue damage, maximum inflammation after you finish a really like, brutal block of training or a long race what do you do
1: yeah so after the western states um both years i've like i like the others i've gone and taken a holiday um and i flew to mexico for the 2018 western and then hawaii for 2019 um for me you know like i there's no point in me staying around like the mountains or the canyons mm-hmm. when because that would just make me want to walk and get around there like i just You know, I am the environment I'm in um, and being on the beach, really like I don't want to run on the beach. I'm happy to sit on the beach and play in the water. Um, And so I think that like mentally, it's really nice to kind of take myself to another environment um, where it doesn't like super thrill me to go running. Um, and just a place that I know will have like good food and especially good vegan food. That was a big thing for me. So like Mexican food is very, very easy and Hawaiian food, you lots of fruit, fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, the 24, 48 hours, like I didn't leave for those holidays until kind of three, four days after the race um, because there's no way I wanted to sit on a plane um, within that 48-hour period. So, I mean, when I finished Western States, it's it's one o'clock in the morning. It's pretty much just... uh, get some food, get some nice warm tea, you know, kind of chill out, have a shower, brush my teeth, (laughs) Um, all those important things. And then, yeah, sleep with my legs up the wall, really. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of – there's no set protocol and there's no, like, training philosophy after the race. It's more just back to that intuition and really, like, just accepting that, like – you need to, to chill out both mentally, physically, and emotionally. And um, yeah, it's a great time to show gratitude for, for everything that you might have missed uh, during and before the race.
0: Yeah, but you really, it sounds like deliberately put yourself in a situation where, you know, recovery is the focus and it's easy to stay in that mode, right?
1: Yeah, you want to have all those things like at your arm's reach, you know, you want to be able to sleep when you want, eat when you need, stretch if you can, get a massage, um, you know, go in the water, you want to, yeah, don't put yourself in a position where you're, you don't have those things because when your body wants something, it wants it.
0: Yeah, right. That makes sense. All right. So now let's talk about all your race experiences. I know you've done like the list of things, not just that you have done, but you have won or set a course record is kind of unbelievable. And like that whole list, most of them would be, you know, once in a lifetime experiences for an ultra runner to even do some of those races. And so I know you have to have this amazing catalog of experiences in your head that have really been unbelievable. So I'm curious to know though, like out of all of those races that you've done, you know, what would you really say was the most memorable and why?
1: Yeah, I think that's, uh, I mean, it's hard. There's so many good aspects of every race. Um, I, I will always remember my first 100K with my dad. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's very, very special. Obviously, that's kind of where it all started. Um, but running the, that, uh, the Ultra Trail Australia, that 100K my dad did first, um, I ran and won that on my 21st birthday wow. and it was just a phenomenal experience because it was all my friends out there and everyone who was very, very close to me running on a course that is very, very near and dear to me. Um, and I just remember it, the course got changed and I remember being super upset because I'd been training on the course and the last bit that had been, was taken out was like my favorite bit and I was mentally prepared for mm-hmm. it. And they ended up making it an out and back and I was super bummed about it. And again, like psychologically was just like, well, it's not going to be the day I wanted. Like I dreamt of coming up this hill and like into the finish and that's not how it's going to finish. Um, but as it turned out, like the whole way back, the last 24 kilometers, people just stepped aside and they sang me happy birthday. Um, and I mean, yeah, when you're 75 K deep, it was just super nice just to, to have that support. And yeah, I wouldn't have wanted the day to be any different.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. All right. So uh, just from like a week ago or one, a few weeks ago, I guess, I saw these, these images where you were, I think in Nepal, like doing a big training block, you know, and you were lots of time in the mountains, you're running in the snow. um, And I would imagine that was all leading up to Western States 100 for this year. Right. But Obviously that event, like, you know, like pretty much everybody's events, like even I had one in July, it's been canceled. Um, you know, and, uh, that's kind of going on a lot and that's difficult, right? Because you spend all this time and you get this whole mental thing prepared to like the mental preparation of preparing for your event, right? Like you schedule out and you think for months ahead, like what your training is going to be like and what you're going to have to do and how, where it's going to get you. And then a race gets canceled. And that's very difficult. So, um, you're not really letting that phase you too much though. You know, you're like still really training. And, but what are you doing now? Like, what are you really focused on now with all that going on and all the difficulty that surrounds it? Like, how are you staying motivated through all this uncertainty?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a really strange time to be living through. And I think it's challenging everyone. And I think that's almost the nice, the nice thing is that everyone, there's no one who's not being affected by this. Um, so, you know, I expected Western States to be cancelled and I was surprised that it took them that long. You know, there's other races like the UTMB that I'm kind of like, how have you not let people yeah. just relax and stop training? Or like the pressure to train. And, you know, Craig, the race director for Western States said, it's not because we're, we think that we're going to be in a situation on in at the end of June, but it's because right now people can't train and it's an unfair playing field between Europe, Australia, America.
0: Right.
1: And, uh, you know, with 100 miles, it's not like, yeah, your time might be a little slower if you don't train. It's that you could die if you don't right. train in these races. Um, So for me, you know, I'm just, I'm really motivated by the fact that I now have an opportunity to build a routine to get back to that, you know, that real um, intuition on, you know, like finishing a run and taking that time to, to eat well and to rest well and I just got to a point last year um, where I was just like traveling, racing and nothing felt really good. Like even the traveling, I was like, oh, this is beautiful. But like, I feel terrible. And um, yeah, I just kind of lost a little bit of a groove and a little bit of love for the sport. I just really struggled to to keep up this, you know, this sport is people are so passionate and racing all year round and going hard and doing more and more and further and further and faster. And I just think that this is almost just like the world being like, can you just like take a little gratitude for the fact that you get to run and it doesn't matter how far you don't need a bib to do it. You don't need a travel to all these amazing places you can run from your door and um, I think that yeah I feel like it was just life tapping everyone on the shoulder and being like slow down guys because if we if we don't look after it now it's not going to be there in the future so I'm just staying motivated by the fact that you know things will go back to normal and you know I've got I've got everything I need where I am and within me so I would run every day, whether I never traveled, never raced again. So I will just continue to do that.
0: That's great. That's a pretty good attitude for sure. I mean, it's not easy now. I mean, of course, all this comes on the heels of all the fires in Australia and I know um, like in the States, I'm not sure if people really understand how bad it was there. I mean, this was really like billions of, you know, like, I mean, over a billion animals literally died in the fires. Right. So this was, really horrible. And we had some big fires here, um, you know, a couple of years ago and, you know, there were some races canceled and a lot of people lost their homes and stuff, but it was significantly worse over there. And I know that technically now all the fires are out, right? Like the season's over, the fires are out and everybody says, oh, that's great. But there's still been a lot of destruction. So I know that you were pushing a lot to try to get some help for people over there and there were some funds. And so if people want to contribute now and they want to try to help now, how could they do that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, like you say, they are out. And the reason why the fires are out is because there was so much smoke in the air that they created their own climate and produced rain, which flooded everywhere. Right. So what was burning was then turned to mud. And then because of the coronavirus, no one can visit these places because you're not allowed to travel. So it's a pretty hectic time for these um yeah, these tourism hotspots. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you know, if you want to, uh, help out around, uh, in, in Australia, there is, um, like the wires, the wildlife, um, protection people. Um, so W I R E S yeah. otherwise there's the CFA, um, which is our community fire for fire force. Um, and then, There's the Red Cross, which is more about helping the families that were affected and lost their homes or other things. There's also a lot of amazing initiatives that came out of it about you can almost like buy a coffee from a coffee store without actually getting the coffee. But you just pay for it online and or you can pay to get a haircut. It's super fun. And it's just a way to support like specific businesses that you might want to. Uh Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of lots of ways. For me, I did a, a post on social media, and for every like, gave a dollar. And um, I totally didn't think that there would be that many people. Like, you know, I normally get like a thousand, two thousand likes, and uh, twenty five thousand likes later. I was like, okay, <laughs> like there, there it goes. That's awesome, you know. So it's about, about creating awareness, and yeah, just kind of there's lots of things. If you look online, people are, are looking for innovative ways to, to help
0: out. Mm-hmm. That's great. All right. So along those lines, I just want to say that, you know, um, I think everybody should go check out your website. It's really inspiring. And obviously, you have a lot of great information there. You have all this stuff about nutrition, all of that. Um, and on Instagram, that's your big platform, right? Um, so you're at Lucy underscore Barth- Bartholomew, right? Yeah. Um, uh, on Instagram. Uh, and we'll have those links in the show notes on docontherun.com under the podcast section. So if you're driving or whatever, you don't have to write it down. We'll have all the links there. Um, but one of the other things, one of the last things I was just hoping you might talk about just a little bit is because I know you're kind of all over the place all the time. You travel a lot, even, I mean, right now, maybe not as much as usual, but, um, But what about your training camps? Could you just, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, you kind of bring them up on Instagram, I think when you're going to, when you're having those things, but I know you do some speaking stuff and, and people can actually work with you in training and how can they do that? And what could they expect from a training camp if they work with you?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the biggest thing about the thing that I love most about this sport is the community. And for me, you know, I meet a lot of people, but they're very superficial kind of meetings. It's like, hi, and then a photo and then that's it. Um, So I started these camps to kind of combine the things that I love, which are like nature, community, and kind of like eating really well and yoga and stuff and mindfulness, being really positive Mm -hmm. and um yeah so these camps they're very spur of the moment it's kind of why instagram is like i'll just post it and they can sell out within 10 minutes um because they take on about 20 at a time and it's pretty much a kind of like come live and train with me for a weekend and so i just book a big house with 20 beds in it um i cook all the food and we go for runs and just kind of talk about like you know recovery and nutrition and anything that you want to talk about. I mean, at the end of last year, we had one and it was, it was crazy. I think 2019 was a tough year for some people. And I felt like it turned into a kind of like a, um, like a psychiatry camp. Everyone was kind of starting to cry and like, Oh, things I want to leave behind in 2019. And I was like, Oh wow, this is like getting deep. Um, But yeah, they're just kind of camps that just bring together people that share the same passions. And I love my, my following on Instagram and I know that anyone who follows me there and and wants to enter one of these camps is someone that I would get along well with. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like I've run six camps now and just kind of, they're not people that at the end of the camp, it's like, okay, bye. It's, yeah. you know, I continually in contact with them and a lot of them end up coming and or getting a house and doing their own little, like, you know, 2.0 camp and just getting together And I just want to bring people back and just show that, you know, maybe I do travel a lot and yeah, I have 80,000 followers on Instagram, but like, it means nothing. I'm still a 23 year old girl who just like loves hanging out with people, loves learning and talking. And I just want to share what I learn and what I get to see and share my cooking and share food and just have a good time. I feel like we just need to do that more in the world.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I mean, truthfully, along those same lines, I'm just so grateful that you would take your time today and, you know, and share all that you have um, have today on the on the episode with us and just, you know, talking about all your strategies and all the things and some of the difficulties too. you know, it's really really fantastic. So um, I know you're, you're easily one of the most sort of upbeat, you know, run happy people uh, for sure in the community of ultra runners. Um, And if people want to get some team Lucy gear or whatever, what's the best place to track you down and to get that stuff?
1: Yeah, so the best place is Instagram, really. Like, and if if any questions or anything, you know, I really make an effort to go through my my inbox and direct messages and sort of write to me there. If you go to my website, you can see a lot of kind of the gear side of things. Um, And if I release, like, there's Lucy socks and there's Lucy hats and T-shirts, so they can go there. Um, And then there's Facebook as well. If you don't have Instagram, it's not updated as much but yeah I mean reach out and just like yeah I'm just super stoked that you would have me on and that we could make this work and uh it's mm-hmm. kind of convenient with all the with all the stuff going on that right. plenty of time yeah.
0: <laughs> all right well Lucy thank you so much again thanks for coming on the show it's been fantastic having you
1: no worries thank you so much thanks for all having right. me